Welcome to Geek Out with Angie Fiedler Sutton, an ongoing discussion on geeky topics. In this episode, I talk to Dr. Charles Higgins, a neuroscientist who teaches at the University of Arizona. His interest in consciousness and robotics make him a great choice to talk about some of the science behind the new movie, Selfless. Do you feel immortal? We offer humanity's greatest minds more time to fulfill their potential. The movie is about our quest for immortality, as well as defining what exactly makes us individuals. I first asked Dr. Higgins his thoughts on the age-old conundrum of when the story can overtake the potential probabilities of current-day science. Well, there are some movies that are kind of blunder into things that are not, well, not even remotely possible. But it's always possible that there is science that we don't yet understand. This movie in particular, it doesn't attempt to do anything that I think is is impossible or uh, inconceivable. Just because we can't do it yet doesn't mean we won't be able to do it. We don't know any physics that would support that right now. That doesn't mean it's impossible. It's really hard to prove the non-existence of something. Mm-hmm. You, can prove, you can prove the existence of something just by showing me one. But to prove that something doesn't exist and cannot exist is really hard. In selfless, what you're doing is an advanced brain scan. I mean, clearly they have in mind uh, fMRI imager. It's a functional magnetic resonance imager. It's in almost every hospital nowadays. It can't scan the brain in enough detail to get at the information you need to do what they do in this movie, but that's clearly the kind of device they're using. So 100 years ago, we couldn't imagine an fMRI machine. 100 years from now, maybe we'll have the machine in the movie. In principle, I believe that what we call the self, you know, consciousness, intelligence, is the reaction of, of the, the neurons, the glia, all the cells in our brain, as well as our gut and all the hormones, the adrenal gland, thyroid, pituitary gland, all that put together is yourself, basically a biological computer of a sort, and that's all it is. And when we understand it, we'll be able to replicate it, put it into a computer and potentially write it onto another body if it's ethical. This, of course, led to the discussion of what makes us, well, us. Well. As far as I can tell, the only part of us that, that really makes us ourselves is the brain. So someone who gets a heart transplant or a liver transplant or loses two legs or an arm, they're still the same person in principle. They may be traumatized, but that doesn't change them fundamentally. But if you switch brains, you got a new brain, uh, you're not going to be the same person. That's where yourself is stored. It's unique in that sense. So everything that you know, everything that you are, is stored there. And we don't understand how that's stored or how that works or even what it means to have a self. And why is it that my iPhone doesn't have one, but I do? We don't understand that. But we have people from all directions working on it. We have neuroscientists like me who try to understand brains in an effort to put together the big picture. So there was this scientist many years ago called John von Neumann, And he had the idea which led to our modern computers. And every computer that we know is a von Neumann sort of machine. And Alan Turing came up with a theory of computation. So we really understand our computing devices really well. But it's become really clear that brains do not compute. What they do is probably better termed cognition. And 
we lack a theory of cognition. We don't know what that is. We don't know how to combine all the things that the brain can do. Creativity, intelligence, consciousness, the self, knowledge, personality. It's all unified somehow in the brain, but what, what relates all those diverse things? I mean, of course, the brain also keeps you alive. The brainstem beats your heart. So clearly it has some really primitive roles. You can't remember anything without the core of your brain. You can't sense anything without your brain. Every sense comes through it, but it also stores everything, but not in the way a computer does. So it stores it in an associative way. You smell a perfume and it reminds you of a woman, and that reminds you of her name, and that reminds you of the scene that you saw or an episode, you know, a, a list of things that happened to you. And that is not at all what a computer does. It's something that brains are really good at and computers are really bad at. With Dr. Higgins' interest in robotics, this moved the conversation to how it relates to AI. After all, isn't the brain just a very advanced machine? These are really important points. So there's a community of neuroscientists trying to understand the brain, and they're working towards a point of being able to make an artificial brain. That would be the ultimate. There's a, a community of psychologists working to understand the mind, and they're working towards a, a deep understanding of the same thing. There's a community of artificial intelligence people working to build an artificial self, an artificial intelligence. We're all converging to the same place. For that matter, there's a bunch of neurosurgeons that are sticking devices into people's brains and we're learning lots about the human brain. They're all converging to a better understanding of the brain that would lead to better human health, longer life, artificial intelligence. I mean, it all comes together, it's all related. So if you could transfer someone out and put them in a computer, how would you know if their internal self responded like Damien Hales did in the movie? We're kind of biased towards living things. So we believe that anything that is alive, it has some level of, of self. You know, like my dog has a personality of its own. It's not quite what a human would have, but it, it's, it's alive. It has a self, and it has a sort of a consciousness. I think it does. But my phone, I think it doesn't. The, the phone that I'm using is more powerful than the computers I used as a PhD student in 1989. It would have, it would have been a supercomputer in 1989. It has a huge amount of computing power, but it, we don't think that it's alive or that it has a self or uh, internal sense of self. But what does that really mean? Uh, I mean, my phone actually, it's listening to my voice and relaying it to you over a radio. It has at least three radios. So it, and it's in communication with the Internet. It can get all sorts of information. It's aware of things around the world. Uh, it's aware of things I cannot be aware of, like incoming emails. It tells me about that because I can't sense the radio waves. I don't have the, the sensors for it. So in what sense is it not self-aware? I mean, it, it knows its own battery state. It knows how bright its screen is. It knows it has a sense of self, right? I, I mean, it knows its own state. But it's that experience that we... We feel like there is an us that is experiencing all of this from inside the body. Maybe that's what the phone does not have. But how do we know? How do we, I don't actually know that anybody else but me does. So I know that I have an internal sense of self, but I'm not sure if you're a computer or not. <laughs> I, I, well, I mean, this is a, a old, I uh, forget which philosopher said it, but it's several hundred years old, that basically we, we only know for sure that I am able to think. As far as I know, everybody else may be an automaton. So when we get to the point where we can't really tell the difference between a living human and an artificial intelligence, then the, it starts to raise the question of where do human rights come in? 
So if you built a fully human-level intelligence, in what way does it not have the same rights as a living human? What makes a human special? So we, we pretty much universally agree that if I create a human, I cannot then kill it. I have personally created two humans, um, my two children. I'm very proud of them, but I'm not allowed to kill them just because I created them. Uh, but that would be fair, right? If I created it, I should be able to destroy it. But that's not allowed. And we're probably technologically capable of cloning humans, but it's not considered ethical anywhere. And if I could clone myself, the clone would have as much human rights as I have. So I still can't, you know, use that to transform myself into. Even worse, what if I could read out somebody's intelligence and put it in a computer, but not in a body? Do the human rights go with that? If the whole self is transferred, does my computer suddenly have human rights, or that program on my computer doesn't have the right to live? If I delete that data, have I killed someone? Have I, should I go to jail for murder? I mean, what, where is the value placed? Is it in the self, which can move away from the body, or is it in the body? Is it the body that has the rights, or is it the self, which might be one day separable from the body? You know, what if I just take the self out of someone, but I don't, I don't do anything to the body? Have I committed murder? I, I mean, it's tricky, right? But there is the fiction element in any science fiction. I had to ask how close we really are to the science used in the film. So more and more nowadays, science advances incrementally instead of via leaps and bounds. And incrementally, it will take a very long time, more than 100 years, to get to where this movie is. However, somebody at Google in the next 50 years could come up with an artificial intelligence and we could figure out how to map a human intelligence onto it and suddenly we would have a jump start. Or somebody doing neurosurgery might figure out something about human brains that leads us to understand how they work and all of a sudden we, that deep understanding allows us to read it out by knowing what we need to read out. Um, it could be uh, a breakthrough in a theory of mind. Someone uh, from the psychology side or cognitive science side may come up with a computer model that suddenly explains how people think and reason and understand and then we'll be able to map a human onto that. Um, any of those breakthroughs could make a, a, a quantum leap. Um, it's really not clear how things will happen, but if it happens incrementally, we're looking at more than 100 years, I think. But the good news is I think we will get there because, number one, it's not fundamentally impossible, and number two, can you imagine humankind ever giving up on immortality? I, I don't think we'll ever give up on that. We'll always be interested. The brain is a very advanced organ. Is it truly possible to ever know what makes it tick? There are people who say that the brain cannot ever understand the brain. In other words, you'd need some device more complicated than a brain to understand the brain. So can the brain understand itself? That's a good question. It has, we haven't proven that we can yet. Selfless stars Ben Kingsley and Ryan Reynolds and will be released on July 10th. Thanks for listening to Geek Out with Angie Feeler Sutton. The theme song is Schoolyard Haze by Jerry Pitkin, available via the Free Music Archive. The podcast is recorded in partnership with Sci-Fi for Me Radio and released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike license. Links for more information on all this are available on AngieFSutton.com.